Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking dirty pools, we're talking the return of the repressed, and we're talking a bathroom sequence so killer it made Hitchcock jealous. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking the most uncomfortable-looking pair of contacts I have ever seen in my entire life. Oh my gosh, are those things like an inch thick? I mean, I know that they used to have hard contacts, but I think like I think in the '80s they were like really small. But I guess in the '50s they just covered your entire eyeball. Can you imagine having to wear those for more than a second? Fuck no, everyone. <laughs> We are talking Diabolique, or Lay Diabolique, or The Devils, or The Fiends, or... That's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. 1955. Oh my god. Everyone, thank you for joining us for this, because, as I, as Joe and I realized this week, this is not only... It is our not our first black and white film, but it is our first foreign language black and white film that we have covered on this podcast. So, if you've stuck through... I mean, whatever. It's a classic piece of cinema, so you should watch it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's also our first film from the 50s. Oh my god, is it really? We've gone to the 30s, we just skipped the 50s on our way there? Yes, and we have yet to do a film from the 40s, but we will rectify that in the future, but that's not important, let's move on. Not at that point, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I don't think that we are capable to discuss this film on our own, so we did bring in a couple guests for this, uh, and I am quite excited to see how this conversation turns out. So, <laughs> everyone, they are the hosts of the absolutely hilarious horror podcast, Girl, That's Scary. Please welcome Jazz and Cat. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> I'm Jazz, the 40 ounce connoisseur, and I'm Cat Daddy, and we are Girl That's Scary, and we are here to have fun. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. No, this is, I, 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 I had a chance to listen to one of your episodes today, and it's such a hoot. I'm so excited for the energy y'all are going to bring, well, hopefully we'll bring to this episode. If you don't, then I, I don't know what to say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like, hopefully, hopefully I do not dis- disappoint. <laughs> I had a Red Bull. I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> we are ready to murder men. Yes. Absolutely. So I, I do have something to ask. Okay. So, you know, whenever we uh, invite guests on the podcast, we like to give out, you know, the list of films and say, hey, y'all, like, you know, what would you like to talk about? And y'all did pick this film. Sort of. <laughs> so, oh, no. Did you, did you pick it? Did you pin it on them? I did because I follow the show on Letterboxd and I saw that Jazz had rated Diabolique a four out of five. And I was like, Oh, mm, we're covering that in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so revise my question. And what 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 entices y'all about this film? What do y'all like about this film? Okay, so first of all, it's messy. This film is a messy bitch that lives for drama. They you they you you could tell they didn't have a whole lot. There's no random explosions and all this other shit. It's just a situation. They decide to do something about the situation and it kind of plays out. So the story is really like tied into a neat little bow. It's something I like about older films. It's like, look, the film starts on Tuesday. 
It's mm-hmm. over by Saturday. That's it. <laughs> we have, we're going we to make these. This is a few days. Okay, this is the story, a complete story. And then I liked the ending was so surprising. <laughs> and then yeah. it left like a little open in at the very end, which leaves it to be a little spooky. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I like that. I really love it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I felt as well. I was just like, one, Jazz put me onto the to the movie. So I was like, okay, girl, I'm going to just give this a watch. And I love black and white films. I just really feel like they bring the drama. Essentially, like, this is this is cinema. Like, everything else, like, this is your dad. And all of these are your sons. <laughs> and that's really just where we're going from here. And I, I, just, I just, everything about this film, from the side piece to the main piece scamming <laughs> to, like, the surprising end, I was just like, wow, this is a soap opera. It is. Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of how I feel too. And yeah, at the risk of sounding like a jaded millennial, I always have this thing in my mind when I'm going into an older film. I'm like, okay, look, I got to watch this film. Like I, I'm in the time period watching it. And yet you know, I, I've always heard about this film. Like, oh, it's the ending. Like the ending is so wild. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the best endings you'll ever see. It's a good twist ending. And granted, whenever you hear that about a film, especially when it's made, you know, 50 plus years ago, I'm sorry, 60 plus years ago, mm-hmm. it's always kind of like, okay, like, I, I, I don't like going in with those expectations, because I'm like, I'm just going to be disappointed because how good can it be? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like it was it was that good in 1955. And because it was so good, everyone and their mom copied it. So I still like this ending a lot. And it, again, it works so well when you think about like what people in the 50s were thinking when they watched this. But because it's been copied so many times, unfortunately, I, I do think that means if you're watching it with a modern sensibility, some of the impact has been diluted. That being said, I didn't know what kind of movie I was watching while I was watching it. Well, and I think that speaks to Kat's observation that this film brings the drama and it feels like it's a bunch of different things. Like, for me, this is first and foremost a bit of a film noir. And then it mm-hmm. turns into like a murder mystery. But then you've got the appearance of this detective who... And then it's like a ghost story. Yeah, like, it's just got a little taste of everything in it. And at the end of the day, it still somehow manages to pull off all of those subgenres in a satisfactory way. So that when the film ends, and you're like, wait, so she's a ghost now? Is this real? What's happening? It still satisfies. Absolutely. That that ghost ending was, ooh, I was like, oh my god, it's spooky. Yeah. And... (laughs) It's something that the film has played with a little bit, but it's not exactly what you would expect it to do. I actually have a question, too, because um, I, I, this is about the ending, too. But so I, I love the, the, the build up to like the, the, the husband in the bathtub scene. Sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this movie. But I, I read a piece of trivia that was like, oh, there's actually no music in the film outside of the opening credits. Is there really no music in the climax of this film? Because I, I remember there being music, but maybe that's just me like putting it on the film like in my memory. I don't know. I feel like it's on there because what you hear is her gasp and you hear him splash in the water because he starts lifting up and you hear her like sliding down the door because she is the heart attack scene. While it was stressful, it's also a little funny because of the face she makes. Oh, <laughs> oh, her dead face is hilarious. No, 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 not just her dead face. When she faints by the pool and she, it's like it's like sped up a bit where it's like she just collapses. But like, <laughs> well, they they were shooting at double speed because uh, they were really really late on the production. So some of this is actually sped up. Which oh. is fair. <laughs> Movie tricks, Hollywood magic. Um, oh yeah. 
But yeah, I don't I don't remember. Now I'm gonna have to watch it again. I also felt like I heard music, but then it could be like, you know how you're probably so used to hearing some sort of not like a whole like shaboot, but maybe something slight like the the like a violin or something go or elevating the sound like just kind of making the, the ambiance intensify. I thought that's what happened, but I could have made that up. I'm just even thinking of like when she's running down the hall, like away from the, the ticking typewriter to her bedroom. Like I'm like, there's no music playing during that, but I digress. I can't remember either. Apparently we were also damn engrossed to just like, we either input music fictitiously or we were like, oh my gosh, okay. I'm just taking this for what it's doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I made it up. I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're talking about the tricks of movies, this is probably a good time to get into kind of like the, the general production of this film. Um, so y'all may not know, and listeners may not know, that this book is based on a novel. And Joe, God help me, or someone help me, I will need some help with these names. Yes. So the director of this film is, okay, I'm going to say Henry Georges Clouseau, but is it Henri? Henri, yeah. God damn it. Okay. I didn't take French in high school, y'all. So it, <laughs> he, he was pinged by his wife Vera who does play Christina in this film to the attention of the Bo- oh my god Boileau Narcissac novel correct yeah oh fuck yeah uh their book she who was no more so Clouseau read through it the um that night and he optioned the rights in the morning he and his brother Jean who took the pseudonym Jerome Jerome oh my god Jerome Jeronimi spent 18 months adapting this novel that's a long fucking time to be writing a screenplay <laughs> Well, and I think it's because they change so much. So basically, it, it, the the skeleton of the plot is the same. It's still about like, you know, people trying to murder someone secretly, but they did some flips. So the plot of the novel is Fernand is a traveling salesman who leads a mundane existence with his wife, Mireille. His mistress, physician Lucienne, desires to open a practice. So she and Fernand conspire to murder his spouse, Mireille, to collect on her life insurance policy of 2 million francs. So in this one, it's the wife who is getting murdered. They drown her in a bathtub, then make the death look like an accident, but things spiral out of control when the body disappears because, as the ending of this film indicates, it's actually the two women who are in a love affair and secretly trying to scare the husband to death. Wow. Okay. Love that. Damn. I want to see that film. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the problem was, is that uh, Clouseau realized that he was more interested in the female characters. You had to remember he was also scouting a feature film that would showcase his wife. So he wanted to make sure that there was a juicy role. And in his estimation, she could not handle the Nicole role so he had to have two women roles so he could cast his wife who was not a very good actress into the one that was easier and that was fair because all she did was faint and pretty much (laughs) I can't do it and Nicole spent the whole movie looking at her like bitch goddamn do I have to do everything my fucking self damn you can't even bring me the tablecloth shit Nicole is a true queer icon. That woman looks like she is ready to eat anyone who gets in her way. Oh, she is the best. I love her so much. But yeah, and Joe, you are correct too. Yeah, it's basically Clouseau was like, well, if I keep the it's the same as the book, I have to cast my wife in the part that is less not controlling, a, just a strong presence of a character, which... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Christina is not. So he was like, but I don't want to have her die and be off screen with the exception of the beginning and the film. So let's switch it. I do think that's interesting, though, in the sense that it's like, okay, we're taking what is an explicitly queer text and 
unqueering it, which makes sense for the time. But Joe, as you said, yeah, apparently it wasn't even for censorship reasons. Like it wasn't like, oh, we can't have gay people on screen in 1955 because it's France. It was just because he wanted his wife to have a better part. Yeah. So it is important to note that in France at the time, obviously they were coming out of the occupation by Nazi Germany at the end of the Second World War. And it wasn't a very hospitable place for queer representation. But in this case, yeah, the decision wasn't that like, oh, he didn't want to dabble in the queer politics. He just literally was like, I need this better role for my wife. Which, I mean, girl, I guess... I mean, she does play damsel in distress often, like pretty, pretty okay. Mm-hmm. Although her fainting is a lot. I mean, she's she gives old Hollywood glamour, and I mm-hmm. feel that's really what it is. She is very beautiful, very, very nineteen fifty dainty woman, like a waif. Yeah, mm-hmm. just really, I can see you know her captivating screens by her beauty, but also you know you're right. The acting, the lines are, you know. She's doing her best. <laughs> really worried about hell. She's really worried about hell for all two hours of this film. <laughs> um, important to note, too, that the private school setting was an invention of the film. I, mean, I don't know why it's important, but it's just like it just is. And then he, uh, the director slash writer, Clouseau, also followed the convention that the culprit should be exposed by the detective in the end, which happens in the film. Whereas in the book, the two lesbian lovers run off scot-free. Ooh, see, they need, I need to see that film. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I would watch both of them because this this film is still good, but I can't. Ooh, I kind of want to see. What if it was updated? Ooh. Well, so spoiler alert. Part of the reason that we're covering this film now is because this is actually the celebration of the remake's twenty fifth anniversary. And spoiler for a twenty five year old film, the women do get away with it and they run off together at the end. Oh, oh, I'm definitely going to go watch that. I already had it on my list, but I was like, oh, I'm really about to check it out now. Do you know who plays Nicole, like like the, the, the strong character in the remake? No, who? Sharon Stone. Yes, absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And she oh. is fucking glorious. She's, she's great. <laughs> I am watching that. And Kathy Bates is the insp- the private detective. Say less. Oh, say less. Fu- oh, that's a- I might watch this motherfucker tonight. Say God less. I, I was going to say, you two can't leave. You can't leave us and just go. I know. <laughs> oh, we're leaving the recording. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be back. <laughs> I'm gonna just- no, I'm going to watch it probably later because I'm oh like, God. okay. Yes. I mean, and interestingly enough, the f- I, I, Joe and I both watched that for the first time this week. And uh, Joe, I won't speak for you, but I did quite enjoy it. But it was panned when it came out. And people, critics especially, hated the ending. I mean, it was made for $45 million and gross $17 million in the state. So it was a huge flop. Oh my gosh. People are haters. It's actually a very faithful adaptation in a lot of ways. Like they keep it almost exactly the same. They just add on about three extra Hollywood endings, yeah. which is kind of forgivable because you can see what they're trying to do. But mm-hmm. it's it's actually not a bad movie. Like I think a lot of people hate it because it's not this 1955 original. Which... Is interesting, though, because that's like, I mean, that is the last remake of this film, but there have been several adaptations of this film. That was just the only one that went to theaters. Like, this was remade in 1974 um, for a a TV movie on ABC called Reflections of Murder with Sam Waterston as the uh, husband role. And then again in 1993, a made-for-television film called House of Secrets starring Melissa Gilbert. Oh, God, no. (laughs) 
well, I'm gonna go with that uh, other version with Sharon Stone in it. Because, yeah, <laughs> and also Kathy Bates. So I'm sold. This movie still could have another remake. I don't. I don't care how many times they remake this because it's kind of fun if you have the right character you care you kathleen is like no i'm not fucking with all these remakes like I, said, <laughs> I don't mind um maybe because i just really like the story a lot and then i i hadn't seen the remake so maybe if i see that maybe my remake um my the remake will be satisfied after i watched that one <laughs> i think the big the biggest complaint and I, i'll just kind of generalize this with all the remakes of this film is that none of them have the atmosphere of this film and i do wonder mm-hmm. if it has something to do with the black oh actually i'm sorry there's also a joke in the remake where um the t- tenant of Nicole's house. She's watching a movie in black and white, turns it off and goes, I'll wait and watch it when it's in color, which <laughs> yeah, it's super bitchy. It's really bad. But um, well, it should be noted that the remake is definitely written by a gay man. Oh, 100%. Uh, it's, it's catty. <laughs> but it, it it does lack the atmosphere. I think, like the, Joe, the noir aspect you you made about this film, like you don't really have that in at least this the Sharon Stone remake. So I would be intrigued to see a remake done today that is a closer adaptation of the novel that hmm. is very explicitly queer and still kind of has that style that that 96 movie is missing. Well, I would argue that this film is still explicit. Well, maybe not explicitly queer, but I think it's not hard to read this film as a queer horror film. It's just, you know, you you end up with a more traditional unhappy ending for your queer couple where one betrays the other so that she can go with the most boring <laughs> weasel of a man in cinema history. He's not even cute. Come on. No. He is not cute. <laughs> You doing all this for this man? Oh, I, it smells. It stinks. I can't believe it. I think that's my thing too, right? Like watching Christina and Nicole in their scenes together, it's so fascinating because e- even their dynamic, right? It's the wife and and the mistress mm-hmm. that are having these conversations. They're plotting together. They're doing all these things. This movie does feel very much like a play because it's very much oh, just two women in a room a lot, and then there's a pool. But. <laughs> I I I love watching these two actresses play off of each other and anything to do with the husband. It's like, oh my God, get him off screen like right now. Yeah. He's just scum. Like he's he's mean. He's a asshole to kids, which I hate people who are mean to fucking children. Because as a teacher, I'm like, why are you mean to the kids? They're just doing kid stuff. Why okay. are you like, although that little boy kept breaking the window. Yeah. Now, he was a little dickhead. <laughs> Those kids were mischievous. They yeah, were he mischievous. He was a shit for but the kids were mischievous. Well, they didn't so. have any activities. That's probably why. I shit. Understand. Yeah, but you can tell this is the 50s, though, because they slapped the fuck out of those kids whenever oh, they do yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Go stand in the corner. <laughs> like, what the hell? I, okay, y'all. So really quick, I was really stressed um, when we already said spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. When we got to the scene where they're at the pool and the ball and all the stuff falls in the pool, and I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe you jump it in the water. Ooh, like, I was like, that water is filthy. Oh, it's so gross. Like the movie opens with a close up on this scummy, moldy ass pool, and then we got to see this child with the largest tidy whities I've ever seen in my life dive into this nasty ass pool. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, he he probably contracted something by getting into that pool. He definitely has nematodes living in his body. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait, what cartoon is that a reference to? Doug. Doug. Yes. <laughs> nematodes. So not only that, I was stressed about that, but of course, shortly after, they request to like drain the pool because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, where's the body girl? Oh my God. Christina on. has no chill in this movie. She just needs to like sit on her hands for a day or two. 
But she can't I mean, do it. <laughs> this bitch is like giving her class, constantly looking at the pool while giving her lecture. And then anytime someone goes near the pool, she like halts her lecture to go to the window and be like, what? What's going on? Poor classroom management. First of all, you turned your back on the kids. They could literally start a fire. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> You're supposed to be paying attention. It's a group of young boys, girl. They could be fighting. They, they could be, do anything. Look, they're in the back doing the heel toe and shit. They in her purse because oh. she out the window counting. And like, oh my God, <laughs> are they going to find the body? My goodness. So as much drama as there is on screen, and we will get to all of that too when we go through the plot, there was actually a bit of drama behind the camera as well. So... Clouseau cast Simone Signoret as Nicole. He was already friends with her because they had worked on a film together um, with her husband on The Wages of Fear. And that actually also starred his wife, Vera, who is Christina. Signoret signed an eight-week contract, but the shooting actually took 16 weeks. She ended up being paid only for eight weeks of work, despite staying for all 16 weeks. And she neglected to read the, the fine print on her contract, which means that even though she worked for 16 weeks, she only got paid for eight. Also, um, Paul, oh my God, is it Maurice? Maurice? Yes, Maurice. Okay. Paul Maurice, who plays the evil husband, douchebag, uh, Michelle in this film. In his memoirs, he says the actress was further bemused by Clouseau's constant attempts to find clever ways of lighting his wife's face while muting the light on her face so she wouldn't upstage his wife. Yeah, if you uh, if you count the individual shots, Vera Clouseau ends up with something like 120 shots where like she's by herself in the shot. And if you count the number that Simone Signore gets, she has like 80. <laughs> Just like, oh. Um, and actually, Signore in her autobiography i think she actually wrote that she was like oh i should have known better than to embark on a production between like a husband and wife team because obviously this was gonna happen gross Mm-mm. i should know that there was one other piece of tension that came it wasn't just like conflict but it's important to note that this film which was made in 1955 as i mentioned it's coming off the end of nazi occupied france and during that time period, uh, the Clouseaus apparently benefited from being Nazi, not sympathizers, but like they basically exploited the existing systems because they were kind of politically neutral. So they got a bunch of like grants and money and they kind of benefited from the Nazi occupation. And Simone Signoret is actually a politically active Jew. And so their politics did not work out well to the point where apparently they were not even speaking by the end of the shoot. I wouldn't speak his ass what? either. Like, okay. Y'all can't see my face. I look <laughs> disgusted. My eyebrows have furred together. I was just like, I can't believe I even gave these people my money by watching it. They're family members. Oh no. They didn't do nothing about it. I'm sick. I'm sick to my stomach. HBO Max has it. I just, I can't. What? <laughs> That is gross. Happily put the yeah. earbud closer to her ear and leaned in when you said that. I want you to know. <laughs> oh, the juicy gossip. Yeah. It's um Come on, we should have fought him. Really? Slash the tires. Absolutely. Soon as the movie was over. Square mm-hmm. up. Yes. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Vera Cluzo did die like five years after this movie. Um, Wait, okay. She died from a heart attack, though. So it was like, it basically got this movie more press five years after it was released because the woman who died of a heart attack in the film died of a heart attack in real life. Okay, so who wants to take a bet that Simone Signore was in her bathtub? She comes out of the water. (laughs) 
And Veracruz, I was like, holy fucking shit, it's just a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> Should have got that on film. Listen, because, girl, you wildin'. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. It's so gross. But yeah, so not much else regarding the production. Only big thing of note is that Hit Alfred Hitchcock actually really wanted to make this film. He wanted to adapt this book, but Clouseau got to the rights before him. So once that happened, and Hitchcock was such a big fan of this film, he snatched up these authors' next book, um, which is called From Among the Dead, which he turned into Vertigo in 1958. Then people also like to believe that the shower scene in Psycho is basically a reply to this film's bathroom scene with the bathtub. And Joe, previous film, What Lies Beneath, did you get some like like, like some Diabolique homages in What Lies Beneath when you were watching this? Oh, yeah. In hindsight, I feel like this film is super influential and could be tied to a bunch of films that have to do with like slowly building tension in bathroom sequences. Well, and this is really the first big film to rely on a twist. Like, audiences had never gone to the theater, thought they were seeing one film, and then it's like, oops, sorry, the film you thought you were seeing, it's actually about something entirely different in the last two minutes of the film. I mean, I would even say before that, because I remember paying very close attention to Nicole's neighbors thinking, oh, this shit with the bathtub is going to come back and how it makes a lot of noise. And they've got the time that it drained and it filled and none of that shit matters because it doesn't come back in this film. I mean, I was even thinking, too, with the wicker basket when they're trying to get it in the car. I was like, oh, my God, Bride of Chucky uses this because this oh, wait, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> in Bride of Chucky, when she kill when Chucky kills Alexis Arquette, I was like, oh, my God, this is Diabolique. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, nothing else really. This film comes out November 21st, 1955. It is 114 minutes long, a near two hours. Glowing reviews, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, with uh, and then a letterbox score of 8.2 out of 10. Needless to say, this is a classic. It is part of the Criterion Collection. You can get that Blu-ray for a semi-reasonable price. Uh, it's Criterion, so... Yeah. <laughs> Expect to spend $30. <laughs> yeah. Okay, shall we walk through this? Let's get it on. Ha ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the film opens, as Trace mentioned, on a disgusting looking pool. And then we are introduced to Monsieur Michel de la Salle. He's played by Paul Maurice. He is the headmaster of this all boys boarding school. And he is asking Plantivo, who is played by Jean Brochard, and that is the doorkeeper to let him in. So he is just returning to the grounds one night and we'll, we'll piece it together later that he was probably off getting some hanky-panky at that uh, hotel that he has a room in. With mm-hmm. Nicole or with someone else? I mean, the question mark is there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I you know, he's clearly Mr. Bitches. Um, okay. He has all the women. <laughs> like, no, because I feel like I feel like he came in late and they got the arguing because the next scene kind of goes into her in the morning with the sunglasses on. Oh, and she yeah. mentions it when she's talking to the wife. So he probably was with another bitch. Meanwhile, his wife and his side woman is all in the house. Like, they're at the school hanging out and he's coming in at 3 a.m. He is wild. He's living three mm-hmm. lives. And I don't understand how. So, hey, yeah, I thought that the the, the rules around this arrangement they all have. So does he know that his wife knows that he's fucking Nicole? Does he know that Nicole knows his wife? Yes. The answer is yes to all of it. Everyone fucking knows. And it's amazing. Like, it's 1955 and everybody knows that this guy is fucking everything that moves. The boys, the other teachers know. They mentioned it. Even the kids like, yeah, he got he got two chicks already. He, I'm going to have some bitches just like him. It's the main people in his business. 
Listen, he's messy. I know. No stealth. Um, yeah, so the next morning we are introduced to the faculty at the school and we learned that we're on the cusp of a long weekend, which is important because this is why Nicole is putting her plan into action because they've got that extra day and people will be gone. So uh, immediately we are introduced to De La Salle's God-fearing and chaste wife, Christina, who is played, as we mentioned, by Vera Clouseau. My favorite, one of my favorite lines, the chaste woman loves to contemplate Dawn, doesn't she? So it's like, oh, because she ain't fucking anyone. All she can do is sit there and look at the sky waiting for Dawn to come. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's rude. <laughs> like, yeah. let mind your business. Let her be lonely in peace. Very sad. Mm-hmm. That actually is something they, they address in the remake, though. She's a former nun in the remake, whereas in this one, she's just a devout Christian. Okay. Yeah, it's a little heavy-handed in the remake, admittedly. Okay, we also meet his vampy statuesque mistress, Nicole Horner, who is played, as mentioned, by Simone Signorette. And, of course, people liken her to a bit of a French Marilyn Monroe, and she is styled to perfection in this movie. I want all of her clothes. <laughs> the first scene where she has even though she's wearing the glasses for a bad reason when she comes through in the morning with the glasses on clapping her hands I'm like who is she? She be lighting mm-hmm. cigarettes wherever like girl look I don't know what y'all <laughs> talk about let me get this new poor 100 popping right now I'ma just light it right now I, like her. I yes. do like her she is amazing it's hard to understate for folks who haven't watched the film just how much of a screen presence she is and then to learn that the director is actively trying to make her less beautiful and less interesting to prioritize his wife and it still doesn't work no yeah big energy (laughs) huge energy and granted from a narrative standpoint it makes sense reportedly so clouseau yelled at her a lot during filming because he let her read the ending. So she knew what her character's actual motives were. And he mm. thought that she was playing the part wrong because she was giving like her motives away. And he would constantly yell at her. I don't know why I fucking let you read the ending. I shouldn't have let you read the ending like during filming for this film. <laughs> but she is carrying the movie on her back. I really yeah. understand. <laughs> He's ungrateful. And see, that's exactly, you know what? I'm not even going to be rude, All but right. the, you know what? That, that's why he fucking sucks. They both suck as a couple and you're yeah. trying to make your wife bet like a star when she's really subpar. Sorry. Period. And honestly, it's kind of like, oh, that's some big Hitchcock energy. Yelling at your leading lady to try to like diminish her performance. Like this is some toxic masculinity director shit going on. Right. Like, do you think that he yelled at Anthony Perkins for knowing the no. ending of Psycho? <laughs> no. Although it's, he might have yelled at Vera Miles, actually. He 100% did yell at Vera Miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we very quickly learn, not just from the sunglasses, but also through basically every interaction that Michelle has with anyone, that he is an abusive man, and he is absolutely shit with these kids, which is great, because he works at a boarding school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for this reason, Nicole is suggesting that they murder him that weekend, and we are all on board. Yes. Yep. <laughs> The film does a really good job of making the audience absolutely despise this human being. Yes. They do. Like, he for- made, force ma- like, made her eat food that she didn't want to eat. Like, swallow <sighs> the food. It's so humiliating. Like, made everybody get quiet. I'm just like, why are you doing all this? Then he be touching all it. I feel like they um, showed that he assaults her. 
And she's like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. But they don't show it on camera. But you knew what happened next. I put in my notes. So, yeah, A, the food eating scene is really difficult to watch. It's upsetting. Tears streaming down her face as he makes her... It, it, it feels very infantile, right? Like, I feel like that's something your parents do to you as a kid, where it's like, eat the last bite of your food or whatever. Except he literally calls all of the students' attention. Like, the action stops so that everyone in the room can watch a woman try to swallow food that she does not want to eat. And it is rough. Because he doesn't want to pay for the more expensive, nice, like, I'm sorry, not even nice food, normal food. <laughs> So he was like, I'm going to just get what I want. I'm like, y'all are not even that short on money. Why are you feeding these kids slop? And it's her money. <laughs> because he is squirreling it away. He he wants to pay as little money for the like a terrible education, for a terrible culinary experience for these boys so that he can save up as much of this money as possible and then benefit when he kills her at the end, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, when you said, yeah, we know what happens later when he abuses her. I, I have in my notes. I was like, then he rapes her, question mark, beats her, question mark. I mean, not, ne- nevertheless, it's not good, but I'm assuming it's like a sexual assault. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because we are told actively that he is a bit of a predator, but also that she is kind of sexually chaste. So I assume sexual assault. So he gets off on that power play. Oh yeah, gross. Because he straight mm-hmm. walk into her, walk up to um Nicole, was like, "Ooh, give me a kiss," and she's like, "Get the fuck out of my face!" And then he pull up <laughs> on Christina, like, "Ooh, give me a kiss, then you." Like, girl, what? Mm-hmm. Y'all, y'all can't y'all stab him in the neck right now. Like, so, I listen. <laughs> and the movie is over. <laughs> it's a short film. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yes, after Michelle abuses uh, Christina, we move to the next morning, and this is when Christina quietly packs everything up. Nicole is bringing this wicker basket out of the attic, nearly killing some child in the process. It's fine. (laughs) And then when Michelle discovers that they are both gone, he tells teachers Raymond, who is played by Michelle Soho, and the man that I assume is drunk, but he might just be an old man, Mr. Drain, who was played by Pierre Larquet. He tells them both, he's like, oh yeah, I totally knew that they were both leaving. Um, yeah, I'm I'm in control. Don't worry about it. He's also very obsessed with appearances and like looking like he's in control. This wicker box though, man, it, it's, I, it's probably outside of the bathtub, the most iconic thing from this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it yeah. travels. It's like a ominous thing like this. Cause, and then, cause you all, everyone knows the, well, at least the audience and um, Nicole and Christina, they know what's in here, but they're trying to like, you know, hide it in the tensions building because they keep interacting with people mm-hmm. and they keep being real close to this wicker box now. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to help you lift this. Actually, take some of this stuff out of here. It's overfill. Hey, shut the fuck up. Try to get the truck. <laughs> this movie practically becomes a screwball comedy once they get his body in that wicker basket. Like it is wild and yeah. I, I don't remember if you mentioned this, but we do get Chekhov's heart condition too. Nicole mentions that uh, Christina has a has a heart condition, which obviously will come into play later. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we follow the women as they drive to what we presume is Christina's kind of house away from the uh, boarding school. And we very quickly learn more about their social status. So this is where we learned that, well, we had previously learned that it was Christina's money that is funding the school, not that really she's allowed to do anything with it. But in the car, we learned that Nicole couldn't afford a car, so she can't drive. 
And we also learn that she has a married couple who are living in her flat and they are the Herbos and they are played by Therese Dornay and Noel Rockver. And I just thought it's fascinating that there is an undercurrent of class in this whole film. So it's like Nicole is the poor woman who is, I mean, at the end of the film, we'll learn part of her plan is to come into money by executing this plan, but also like, she works at a boarding school for rich young boys and there's like issues with the quality of the food because nobody wants to pay for it. Like, I just thought that there's a lot of things about money in this film. If you're paying attention to it, which cues you to the end of the film. Well, and even I I think what jazz was saying earlier, it's like, why would she stay with this man? It's like, Oh, well, because women don't have power in the fifties and she can use that little nest egg that she's about to get, (laughs) even though she's married to a douchebag, like she, Mm -hmm. she can control him or at least like she can handle him infinitely better than Christina could. You are yes. correct because let me tell you, Nicole. Don't be she. He, he be wild, but Nicole doesn't take nearly as much shit. Also, I feel like Nicole is fully capable of also killing him. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> so, <laughs> she's probably like, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna get your wife killed. We gonna get this money, but I'm gonna kill your motherfucking ass next." So I feel like that is definitely something something she might point in. <laughs> Okay, so that's the sequel to this film that I need, which is that Nicole actually then kills Michelle after the end, takes the money, and then she and ghost Christina just have like a big sapphic lesbian affair. Yes. Done. (laughs) Absolutely. So as soon as these women arrive at uh, Nicole's house, she immediately makes Christina call uh, Michelle to tell him that she wants a divorce and he then boards a train to come and try to talk her out of it the next day. A man who runs after his wife is ridiculous enough. That's the kind of sexism we're living in in the 50s. You can't divorce me because I didn't agree to this. So fuck you. <laughs> like pretty much fuck that. I'm not would you making me upset talk about a divorce. Girl, what the fuck is your problem? Like I was like, what? <laughs> like you don't deserve a divorce. You absolutely deserve to be left. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, one of the one of the things that I ended up really liking about the film, and I didn't realize it until I read a piece by Susan Hayward. Uh, she wrote a book on Les Diabolique, and part of what she identifies is that this film switches the hero and the femme fatale role. So if you look at it as a film noir, she suggests that Nicole shifts between archetypal femme and masculinized thug to function as a watertight repository of paranoid heterosexual fantasy. And therefore, the film's true femme is the shifty, unlocatable, disappearing figure of Michelle. So the fact that he is such a like wimpy figure makes sense when you think of him as the true femme of the film. Like he's the one who's trying to put things into motion. And that mm-hmm. means then that Christina is the anxious, castrated hero. So the film flips all the gender roles around in that regard. I wonder if Clouseau was thinking about that when he was writing the script with his brother. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I feel like he knew what his wife was capable of and was like, here, honey, you can take this castrated role, can't you? This role where you're pretty much sniveling all over the place. Just, oh, no. Oh, my heart. Oh, I can't believe we did this. I'm telling the police. Girl, shut your ass up. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) You, they ain't even found a body. You don't even know. Like, there's no body, no case, baby. He, he's that, missing and without no body. That's the thing. When, whenever Nicole's like, honestly, this works out better for us because we really don't know what's going on. <laughs> that is a funny line. 
<laughs> but we're not there yet. She she has to go out and do some shopping. So she she has purchased this waterproof tablecloth, and she's got this really expensive bottle of wine, which they then drug with a sedative. This is actually where we get quite a bit of Christina backpedaling, where she's just like, oh, I don't think I can do it. And Nicole's like, we've got one weekend. Are you sure that you don't want to think this through a little bit more? Like, let's just kill him and be done with it. Also, when she, I love this bit of comedy, too, when she gets the bottle of whatever the expensive booze is, and she's about to go, like, you know, she's going to pour some out. And she's like, oh, well, why waste it? And she just pours some into a cup so she can have it for herself. And it was a toothbrush cup at that. She just looked in it. was Like, she sniffed it real quick. I'm like, girl, you need to rinse that out, first of all. <laughs> that is dirty. And then she was like, you don't want none, girl. All right, more for me then, whatever. I'm like, you about to get turned a little bit. You done did this before. I don't know. She's definitely that kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I like her, though. That's why we like her, because she's just like a little rough around the edges. Oh, for sure. But again, we'll talk about like, how we feel about her when the ending comes around, because it's it, it's kind of soul crushing a little yeah. bit. Yeah. OK, so eventually Christina decides like, oh, right, my husband treats me like absolute garbage. We should follow through with this. So Nicole goes upstairs to listen to the radio with the neighbors while Michelle arrives. He immediately just turns the tables on her. So he's like, no, you did not hire a lawyer. Oh, let's go talk to him. No, you didn't. You're a big liar. And then he makes her feel like shit. And then he slaps her around a couple of times. So she's like, yeah, why don't you just have two or three glasses of this wine after all? We also like, and again, I don't know how commonplace it was to use the word bitch in movies in the 50s. But yeah, when she brings up Nicole, he's like, please don't talk about that bitch. And I was like, oh. Even with the bitches, um, the neighbors, once she starts filling that bath up, he's like, you bitches, what the fuck? What the fuck? It's 10 <laughs> yeah. minutes, you bathing and shit? I was like, damn, you, you never took a night bath? What's going on? But also I'm also like, hear. y'all are tenants in her place. Like, mm-hmm. back the fuck off. <laughs> and you didn't pay rent, so you might want to just keep it real cute. <laughs> she didn't even she didn't even ask for the money she said girl i'm gonna get that money some other time girl you mm. she, you lucky she's not even pulling up on you you yep. worried about her bathing okay but let's be real the sound that this bathtub makes <laughs> it is excessive i have never heard a bathtub like this before <laughs> those walls are made of paper mache yes. <laughs> and just you it's like literally from that apartment, uh, from the neighbors, it sounds like the bathroom is literally in their room. Like, mm-hmm. it's their bathroom. That's how loud it is. I feel like because of the pipes, like, the water's traveling, mm-hmm. and the pipe is, like, right behind the wall, and the wall is very thin, so they can just hear all the water, and they hear it when it drains. So they're just like, God damn it. The worst. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to win some money on this show. Shit. <laughs> I love that. Like, I'm pretty sure I know how a radio works. Maybe I don't know how a 1955 radio works, but like you can't talk back to it and win money, can you? I don't think you can. I think he's making that up. I just, maybe he was making the money in his head. Like it, it's like the way that people play Jeopardy, right? Or Wheel of Fortune where you're like, I know the answer. And then you realize you're just yelling at an empty room with the TV on. Screaming into the void. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah. So in this time, Nicole has come back downstairs and Michelle is completely knocked out. So they put him into this extremely loud bath and then they lay a bronzed lion on his chest. And when he is completely submerged, they just cover him with a tablecloth. And Christina looks like she's honestly going to vomit. So she starts to pray. But then the two women climb into bed and cuddle. They sure do. Mm hmm. 
it's interesting because the first time I watched this, I was like, I thought this was more queer. I really expected that they were going to be more affectionate with one another. And then I realized it's because I had watched the remake first. And Sharon Stone is all over Isabella Johnny in that film. And then I realized, oh, this is the 1955 equivalent of being all over somebody. Like these women are in bed together in every scene where there is right. Like this is still like uh like b- like bewitched arrow you know or pre bewitched where it's like oh we have to have the husband and wife in a separate bed because we can't show them in one bed on TV or maybe that was I love Lucy not bewitched um but and it, yeah it's um but even though we are coming off of a queer text that has been significantly less like queered <laughs> I guess is the phrase that I'll use <laughs> but there there's still elements and I think that's what what works though right because I feel like even if these women are not explicitly queer in the film. You still kind of want something to happen between them because this relationship between them feels so close again, up until the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you, you're really rooting for them. E- even when they start bickering, when they start disagreeing, when they start fighting, once the body disappears, it's still kind of like, Oh, I hope those two girls work it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it kind of, it almost gives me like, um, what's the name of that couple where they drive drive the car louise yeah they give me yeah. a family louise but one of them is bitch made uh <laughs> real real mm, shaky not not given the energy that she could have but that's okay it's fine because it fits for the movie because you, you see that she doesn't want to do it you see she got she actually in real life has a weak heart mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is getting to her and i also was like why did they i don't well i know why they put the statue on there but also like excessive yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> they got to keep the body underwater. Well, yeah, to bloat it and stuff. I guess. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, okay. Wait. No. 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 I think that the statue was just to make sure that he stayed under, so he would drown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's heavy on his chest, so it can't like expand. But like, he can like, if he was still alive, he could get that thing off of him. So I, yeah, I. I... Well, I mean, he's sedated, so he's presumably breathing in water and drowning while he's got this under on top of him to keep him under the water. So by the time he recovers his wits enough to take it off, he would hypothetically already be dead. I do want to circle back, though, about the reference to Thelma and Louise, because this film does often get cited as a reference for that film, as well as, let's see how you all react to this, a little film called Bound. Oh, I can totally see. Okay, and what's funny is I was also even thinking like wild things. Just twisty girl on girl action is what this movie is and what those movies are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see it being an inspiration for those kinds of things because listen, those two girls are really a power couple, and they could have just I was like, okay, girl, we are we are take, taking this man out, and we want to see the man take it out, so we're rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Although heart attack girl is just not heart attack girl. Christina is, <laughs> Christina is just really. Not taking it all the way, but you already fucked up. Like, there's a scene in the movie where she's like, you killed him, talking to Nicole. Like, girl, like, you ain't give him the damn wine. Girl, Mm -hmm. fuck up. I'm sorry, you just stood there while I put him in the bath and put a lion on top of him. Like, we are both culpable, miss. Mm -hmm. Yes, we would both go to prison. Let's discuss. But I will take this, I I, I will say this, um, everyone, if you have not seen the movie Bound, huge recommend, big recommend. Watch it as soon as you can. It is amazing. Yeah. So Michelle is in the bath. The next morning, uh, we wake up 
and the women are basically moving the wicker box out of the apartment. And of course, the neighbors see this. And of course, the spring opens up and they have to find a way to like not show that there's a body in this trunk. And there's more shenanigans when they get on the road. They end up stopping to get gas. And while they do that, a drunken soldier tries to climb in the back. And when they get him out, the proprietor sees that there's water leaking from the trunk, but he wants to get in there because he thinks it's the guy's piss. And And this is where, because, I mean, you know, we're calling this a horror film. I do think it's a horror film. But this is kind of where you walk into something where someone's like, well, it wasn't really scary. It's like, okay, well, scary in the 50s isn't what's scary in 2021. These scenes, not only are they funny, like I mentioned earlier, it's very much like a screwball comedy where it's like, oh my God, like what's going to happen with the body? There's hair sticking out. Oh my God, someone's going to see it. But it's also really suspenseful. Like mm-hmm. because you are sighted, it's like you, you are on these women's side. You know this man's a piece of shit. You want them to get away with it. It is like you're on the edge of your seat biting your nails like, oh my God, do not let that body get seen. <laughs> oh yeah, that, this is some straight up first sequence of psycho where she's driving in the car and she's hoping not to get pulled over by a police officer because she's got a bag full of stolen money in it Girl, i'm trying because they look at the, she, the they used to talk about there's police around like oh there's all these police mm-hmm. so then when her scene is driving and she sees the police you can see how stressed she is she's like oh my god please i hope the police don't stop me girl why would they stop you and then why would they check the trunk <laughs> relax Wait, I'm, I'll, I'll try to stop keep keep mentioning the remake but in the remake like they can't even close the trunk of the car because it's a small car so literally it's like the trunk is open with the wicker basket like sticking out of it like into the road <laughs> it's oh, not no, conspicuous no. at all yeah and then they actually get into a car accident <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's oh, quite, but it's all treated very suspensefully in the remake whereas I think One of the things I really like about this 1955 version, the original, is that so frequently it plays with your expectations. Like as jaded moviegoers, we think, oh shit, somebody's going to find them out. They're going to have to like kill somebody or there's going to be a chase or something. Mm -hmm. None of this comes to matter. Like Mm -hmm. the fact that the neighbors saw them carrying this basket out and they saw water dripping out of it and the girls were acting shady. It doesn't come to anything. This drunken guy, you think, oh, he's going to end up getting interviewed by the police and then they'll get discovered that way. No, it doesn't happen. Nothing comes of any of this. And I love the way that the film plays on you thinking something will happen and then it just moves on. Especially where they zoom on faces. Like when when they drive away, every time they see drive away, people are staring like, hmm, suspicious. (laughs) Like, hmm, I'm going to call the police, but they don't. That drama. They even say, like, almost everybody who encounters them says, like, those girls were unusual or something to that effect. And you're just like, yeah. oh, they are. They're acting real strange. Causing a stir everywhere. Christina, you you give this stuff away. Come on, girl, be quiet. <laughs> but then they're closing the truck. No, we don't need no help. Bye. <laughs> nothing weird about that so they end up making it back to the school in the middle of the night and of course they have to wake up the doorman to get in there but it's the cover of darkness it's still the long weekend so nobody's there so they drive to the pool and they dump michelle's body in good thing it's so fucking dirty yeah cut to the next morning we wake up and they are immediately bickering at the window because the view from the window does not allow them to see the pool so christina why the fuck are you looking out the window all the time uh, what did y'all say? No chill. Like she is, she is really, really obvious for this entire movie. Like if anyone, like she's very much a murderer. She's like a murderer who feels, who looks, th- thinks she has active blood on her hands. Like 
it, she moves like people can see her. She feels like everybody knows what I've done. No, they don't, girl. Right. You got this far. They don't give a shit. Okay. Girl, relax. You're telling everybody <laughs> all our business. Like, you just need to just go on about your day. Keep going. Like, just write it down. And you actually don't write it down. Write it down and then burn it. Yeah, Tell your exactly. therapist. Exactly. Because this is too much. <laughs> she needs a hobby is what she needs. Like, I agree. She's got a heart condition. She can't be handling this much stress. <laughs> right. And she know that. She knows that, but I feel like you know what? Maybe she wants to die. Like she's, I'm like, girl, because you are really overworking yourself. Not a death wish. She has a death wish. You keep overworking yourself, and you know that you, your heart can't, your ticker can't take it, sis. You need to relax. So they spend a long agonizing day as the news of Michelle's absence spread. So the students are talking about it. The other teachers are talking about it. It's very unusual that he is not there. And as we talked about earlier, Christina is actively looking out the window during her lessons, not paying attention to students, but nothing happens. The body is not discovered that day. So... So I'm sorry, I have to one comparison. So I don't I don't know how y'all were raised with like punishments and stuff. But one thing my parents would always do. So my dad would he was working, my mom was at home. And my mom, if I ever did something bad, like with something, especially if it was really bad, my mom would be like, Okay, well, you're punished, but just wait till your dad gets home. And I had to spend the entire day like waiting for my dad to get home to see a how he was going to react and how he was going to punish me. That's exactly how I feel with these two women <laughs> waiting for this body to rise in the pool. <laughs> yep, we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's where the empathy for these women, like we, you said earlier, Trace, that we do care about them. And even though we've been actively making fun of Christina this whole time, a big part of it is that she is an abused woman. Like she is frail physically because of her heart defect, but also because she has been living with an abusive husband who has mm-hmm. controlled her every move for presumably years at a point. So yes, she has gotten rid of that man, but at the same time, she is now waiting for the hammer to fall. And the religious aspect is also informing that like she actively calls them sinners and thinks that they're going to hell. Oh yeah. She 100% does. It's actually really sad. Yeah. She's like, I'm with monsters. I don't like monsters, girl. <laughs> Your husband was a monster, okay? She's the worst person to commit murder. Yeah, yeah but, but, you can't commit crimes with. You can't break the law with everybody. But that's the thing, right? I mean, obviously, they would go to jail anyway because the law is the law. But it's like, yeah, even like her, because she's such a devout Catholic or Christian or whatever one she is, it's like, it doesn't matter how bad this person is. I don't have the right mm-hmm. by God's law to kill him. And if I do, I'm going to burn in hell for all eternity. And it's like, that's such a dark way of looking at life sometimes. It is. Do you think that that makes us bad then for rooting for Nicole because she doesn't have a guilty conscience? Like, there's something to be said for enjoying the bad girl performance of Signore, but I don't know. Like, should we feel more sympathy for Christina and less when Nicole revels in the fact that they have gotten away with this murder? So I have a comparison for all of you. I wrote in my notes in bold, and this is right after the scene whenever they kind of turn on each other and, you know, Christina's like, when Nicole goes, he was really dead, wasn't he? And Christina replies with, you should know, you should, you killed him. I wrote... Christina walked so Julie James could run. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so here's the thing, right? We should feel bad. We should empathize with Julie James in I Know What You Did Last Summer because she is going through some mental trauma, blah, blah, blah. But everyone fucking hates her because she's such a sad sack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody likes a sad sack in a horror film. I mean, granted, she's not in an abusive relationship, but it's very much the same kind of thing where she's like, oh my God, get over it, girl. You killed a man. Just get move on with your life. <laughs> and if you're not going to move on, then, you know, leave everybody else to fuck alone because they're moving on. You know. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Nicole's like, Jesus Christ, I just want to be able to wear these massively iconic outfits and like strut around these grounds all day, please. Like, I'm trying to teach a lesson here. Stop crying in the classroom. Shit. <laughs> Embarrassing us. So they they come to a kind of agreement when the body is not discovered. Nicole says, okay, fine. If the body hasn't been found tomorrow, I will find a way to drain the pool. So this is where we get to this infamous scene where the boys of the school kick a ball into the pool. And then Nicole goes to give them (laughs) keys. And of course, she, whoopsie, accidentally drops into the water and makes this boy (laughs) dive into this disgusting pool, which he also thinks has a body in it. I'm just like, oops, I'm so clumsy. My keys. <laughs> and he's like, um, the bottom is like chocolate soup or something. And I'm like, ew, the fuck is in there? Insert like vomiting noises. <laughs> it's gross. It's very gross. I was like, close your mouth, kid. Do not open your mouth in that water. It's too late. There's <laughs> organisms living in there. <laughs> Told you, nematodes. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of here. <laughs> So he he only discovers Michelle's lighter. So they use this as justification to drain the pool. And then Christina faints when they realize that there is no body there. This is kind of where the film takes a turn and says, okay, so now someone is actively fucking with them. It does. And we're probably about two thirds of the way through the movie here. So I do kind of like, you know, like act one ends with the quote unquote murder. Act two ends with, oh, the body's gone. And so it's not really shifting genres like something like Freeway was a couple of weeks ago, Joe. But it's very much like, oh, even though this movie is a, like almost a full two hours long, it never like it never really stops to slow down. Like it moves at a pretty consistent pace, particularly in this next section, which is really like investigation heavy. So we are moving into new locations, uncovering clues, making progress, all leading up to this stunning climax. Mm-hmm. So this is where, um, Plantivo, the doorkeeper, delivers Michelle's suit, and it just happens to be the one that he was wearing when they killed him, and it has <laughs> arrived freshly pressed from the dry cleaners. <laughs> this is fucked up. This is really <laughs> fucked up. Like, Because now we're just going into gaslighting territory. 100%, yes. Uh, which, it should be noted, is also the... F- There's a film called Gaslighting, or no? Mm-hmm. Let me try It's that called again. Gaslight, based on a play. Yes. Um, and of course, uh, it has a similar sort of idea, where it's like... Um, person just lies and lies and lies to a woman until i don't know it's a film noir right trace i think so but it's yeah basically a a man is trying to convince his wife that she's crazy there we go yeah yeah which is more or less what they're doing to poor christina at this point so Mm -hmm. of course we don't know that yet no so we go to the dry cleaners and at the dry cleaners we find a key and the key leads us to michelle's sex pad at a nearby hotel and all the bags are gone so it's just like yeah he's in here but you know he don't really be here like that he's living another life he sure the hell is so she's like oh my god so now she's just worried about every little thing 
Like mm-hmm. now her heart's about to literally explode. Because uh, <laughs> at this point, they're like back at the school. The doctor is saying, girl, you need to stay in the bed. You don't need to get up no more. That is it. And um, before, I think before this even happens, like after they do the suit situation, they hear about a body in the newspaper. Yes, this is when they go to the morgue. I And part of this is that Christina is actively, like she is so freaked out that she is ready to go to church and confess. So then Nicole says, oh no, actually there's this body in the morgue from 30 days before. So Christina goes, it's not Michelle, but while she's there, she does attract the attention of a private investigator. So this is kind of where the film switches. I have a question for y'all because w- watching this morgue scene because you know the 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 mortician the morgue attendant tries to like trick her, right? Where he's like, "Oh, what about the the mole here?" and she's like, "He doesn't have that." And he's like, "Good. Okay. I was tricking you." <laughs> I was literally like, "Oh my god." Like, I mean, okay, if I saw my husband's body on a on a slab, yes, I would be able to tell if it was him unless his face was pulverized or something. But if it was like if I was at the 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 receptionist office of the morgue or whatever the fuck this is. And they were like, Oh, what about this? These marks on your husband's body? I'm like, I don't know what marks he has on his body. Like he has skin. I don't know. I, I was like, I gotta now like, examine my husband's body in case I ever need to like prove myself at the morgue. Does he have any dick moles or something like oh that God. that could be used to identify? <laughs> Just random things. <laughs> and then what if they trick you? Like, what about the birthmark on his shoulder? Huh? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it definitely hit me. Imagine going, aha. That's, you're trying to look at a random corpse. Because what? who would do that? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you think they have that? Do you think they have people that just go and try to look at corpses that are John Doe's? I believe it. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. That's why they put this stopgap in. I guess it's like the people that um like confess to crimes that they didn't commit. Yeah. 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 And some people just want to see a dead body, which is stressful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought about this happening i was like is this a part of the plan like i wonder did they kill another person who fit the description and throw his ass in the river because i can't believe they found someone in the river exactly three days after they did what they did with the same description that's no that that's that's like you're a side cool movie it's like there's a there's another there's a serial killer running around france (laughs) while this is happening I love this just huge coincidence. Oh, yeah, there's just another body. <laughs> well, I do love... Okay, so this is where we meet the private investigator named Alfred Fichette, and he's played by Charles Vanell. And part of the excuse that they give for Christina being confused that this is not Michelle's body, like, Fichette just says, oh, well, you know, there's plenty of men who are six feet tall with dark hair who die around Paris. And you're just like, how many <laughs> murders of tall men are happening in because most men are not even six feet tall so what are you where are we getting all these people from (laughs) it's like an epidemic of men fitting that description dying in paris at this moment it's it's someone going around killing all the six foot tall dark haired men i guess so (laughs) maybe they were tall dark and handsome and they tried to play them (laughs) (laughs) they tried to play nicole and she said fuck that i'm murdering your ass and that's what they get i would really like to see that (laughs) <laughs> just a side quill where where nicole is off killing six foot tall men who have to absolutely <laughs> yep uh okay so this private investigator offers his services for free and accompanies christina back to the school where he just begins asking everyone really random questions and more or less repeating what they're doing like somebody gives him an answer and he's like oh but this and then you're like no that's what they just said and of course uh folks 
from America will recognize the genesis of Columbo in this particular character. So they dirtied up the trench coat and gave him a funnier hat, but this is basically who Columbo comes from. Yeah, I'm a detective. Asking questions. Real gruff. Mm -hmm. Looking like I don't understand what's going on, but secretly solving the case. Yes. (laughs) Which, this fucker does not solve the case, by the way. Christina just tells him everything. Oh, I guess he does solve it at the very, very end. But, like, Christina tells him everything. (laughs) He doesn't even believe her. He's like, what are you talking about? There's no body. You didn't drown anyone. He's like, you silly heart lady. I feel like he takes pity on her. Like, oh, you're kind of pathetic. I guess I will investigate your ridiculous claims. And then, oops, I guess you were telling the truth. Oops, I guess you're dead. (laughs) He he really stepped in too late with that ending. (laughs) Oh, a lot of people see that as a, a plus of this film, which is that you expect that he is going to save the day and he is going to save her. And he doesn't because he's not fast enough. That makes sense. I, I enjoyed that she died because she was annoying. <laughs> also, the ending of him, dead man coming out that tub. I, Shocker. That scared the shit. That is so wait, wait. creepy. We're not there yet. We're not oh, there sorry, yet. Sorry, sorry. We're almost there. We, just, we have to get a bit more gaslighting bullshit out of the way. So yeah. let's fast forward to picture day, everybody, where we are introduced to the student, Monet, who has been punished for lying about seeing Michelle. Nicole's, obviously, this is a case of a self-induced hallucination. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> With children. Yeah, so we're cued to the fact that Michelle may be haunting the grounds or he is there or whoever is fucking with them is present and doing malicious things. So at this point we take the picture and then we see that Michelle is actually partially visible in it. So this is when Christina just completely freaks out. So she has to go to bed. The doctor is like, you can't leave. And this is also what she tells Nicole. Okay. I think you should just go. Because Nicole's like, let's just leave. We'll run away together. And it sounds so romantic. Mm-hmm. And then Christina just says, no, I can't go anywhere. I'm totally sick. So bye. And she's like, all right, well, fuck you too then. Stay the bed. <laughs> <laughs> they, they part on less than solid terms. It's true. And this is kind of the end of it, right? With them? Yeah, this is the end that we will see of Nicole until the final scene. Uh, so... Yeah. Christina wakes up in the middle of the night or the middle of the afternoon and Fischette, the private investigator, is just sitting there watching her. So she tells him everything and then he goes and starts to investigate the lighter and the trunk. But it's too late because that night she awakens and she sees that there's a light in Michelle's office. So she, holy fucking slowly makes her way down this hallway I, I I think this sequence, sorry, we're at the ending now, but before yeah. we get to the bathtub, I think this sequence is actually really, really creepy. Like we've got, it almost reminds me of something out of The Haunting, which would come eight years after this, but it's like her walking down this fucking hallway, mm-hmm. hearing the typewriter. Like, I think the typewriter adds such a nice bit of like menace to this. It's yeah. so creepy. It's great. Yes. And I love the fact that she's basically dressed like a Victorian, like a gothic horror heroine because she's got the lacy nightgown she's got the dark hair and you know the lighting is very dim and shadowy so i do love also that we even get to see like there's men's feet that are like appear under doorways so you know that she's being stalked by someone but you don't know who and Mm-hmm. it's all really really good well, okay my, my question to all of y'all so did anyone know the well joe i know you saw the remake first but mm-hmm. so ladies did y'all know the ending of this movie before you saw it for the first time i no. did not i did not 
what in this moment, what did y'all think was happening? I thought that at this, I thought Moyer, that little boy, I thought he saw a ghost. I thought that the ghost was haunted. He's like, oh, you killed um Michelle and he is a ghost and he's go- you're going to see this ghost flying around and shit. Now, <laughs> I felt like she was going to have a heart attack, but I felt like the ghost was going to scare her mm-hmm. to death. Which in a and way is kind of what happens. <laughs> it is, but then it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think anything. I was just, because I usually just go with the stuff blind. So I'm mm-hmm. li- like truly just sitting here like, what the fuck is going to happen? And I think, I mean, I know I keep saying, oh, for a movie in the 50s, because it makes me sound so ignorant of movies that, that are older. But it's just like, it, it, that's, again, Joe, where the expectations come into play. Like, I wasn't expecting this much, like, what, what the fuck is going on from mm-hmm. this movie? And that's kind of what I love about it. Yeah, it, it's gaslighting us as much as Christina is being gaslit by Nicole and Michelle. Because we're like, we have no idea what's going on. Who is telling the truth? What is actually happening? Movie, you are... You are not playing fair with us right now. <laughs> I just want, you, you know how like they do movie, like t- TV spots for movie trailers where they, they they take video footage of the audience, like jumping to a jump scare in the, in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. I would kill to like have footage of people watching this ending in 1955. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And realizing what they have actually seen. Yeah. <laughs> I know somebody is clutching their pearls. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, my own weak heart. <laughs> So we can get to this bathtub now because this is called one of the scariest endings of any horror film ever made. I mean, I, I, I kind of in the same boat as what you just said, Trace. It's like, oh, for 1955. But like this mm-hmm. moment is so deliciously good. When she sees this body in the bathtub, you think that it is either something supernatural or that she is actively hallucinating. And then when that body rises out of the water and the eyes are pure white Mm. it is just a moment of cinematic brilliance it is so well executed it's not even in slow motion but the image of him standing up out of the water and then he stands and like you see all the water like dripping out out of his pants and it's just like what like you are just as scared as christina in this you're just not dying hilariously (laughs) i mean she hits the wall (laughs) (laughs) I will say I did kind of give a bit of a brief chuckle because I realized, oh, this is a meme that I've seen on Twitter. And I never realized that that's (laughs) what it was from. This image of her falling and hitting the wall and then just sliding down. But it's sped (laughs) up, so it looks even more funny. But it is also horrifying to see her just like, I I don't think that Vera Cluso is a great actress, but she does sell this moment where she looks in extreme duress very well. I think it's also too, just because like this camera stays with her as she dies. So while she is making some interesting facial choices, it's still like we are watching this woman take her last breath. It's not a stabbing. It's not a bullet. She just dies of fright. essentially. And there's something really intimate and unsettling about that it's definitely creepy as hell like and i think that's why i'm like maybe there wasn't music because all you hear is like oh oh like you hear her groaning mm-hmm. and yeah. reacting <laughs> and she's sliding down the wall and just hits the thuds to the floor yeah and the water is dripping in the background we made it up y'all well actually no because at this point we still because you don't even know what's going on yet you're just like wait is he a ghost and then we get these fucking contacts like he just it's a close-up as he takes this 
honestly two inch looking motherfucking contact lens out of his eye and he just looks so satisfied with himself he climbs out of the tub he goes to the closet like he doesn't even check on her he's just like mission accomplished goes to the armoire starts pulling out clothes toweling himself off and then nicole comes in and we realize oh they have been in on it the whole time this was the plan all along they wanted to kill her for the money and nicole is like yay honey and you're barfing because it's just so traitorous well that's the thing right so again we're all watching this movie we all love nicole because she is like the head bitch in charge right Mm -hmm. and then we get this so what does this do to your perception of nicole oh man i i still like her but i'm also like wow you are conniving bitch you chose violence really like you you went on this roundabout (laughs) way and then when rewatching it like you if you know what she is and what she's doing you're like all her actions and reactions to like christina are even more yeah like you know involved like ooh, why this is why you're acting like this like girl hurry up i'm trying to do my plan <laughs> and you, are, you are in the way bitch damn like i'm just trying to get my shit together and you keep whining and crying would you just fucking die already damn it's really a long con too right like i'm like oh my god y'all went through so much shit to make this happen which i guess makes it kind of convincing which really sucks that the, the investigator is like right there ready to catch you yeah, because they are caught immediately <laughs> yeah oh not two seconds go by which oh, i also love nicole's line which is like i got scared more than four times <laughs> it's like oh okay <laughs> oh i guess you really suffered for your art then bitch <laughs> but like i am also like because it reminds me a lot of an Agatha Christie mystery where it's, I always think of it and then there were none where it's like, okay, like you're trying to figure it out and you're like, wait, how did this happen? And it's, you have to kind of suspend disbelief a bit, but it's just believable enough to where like when you, when, when the ending is revealed and who the murderer is, you're like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. This is kind of the same for me where I'm like, wait, like, so he's in this fucking trunk the whole time. They wave it off as like, oh, that was really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He's in the bathtub. Like, all this stuff. I was like, I don't, I can't believe he didn't die. I can't believe he didn't actually drown during any of this. Mm-hmm. He's He must have gills. <laughs> yeah, he definitely has gills. Or maybe when she left the bathroom, she might have let him up a few times. Dude, right? He's like putting his lips out of the water like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking a few breaths. <laughs> Let's just say that in the remake, they 100% spell it out so that you don't have any questions about how he did it. And it feels very kind of, here, audience, we want to make sure that you understand everything. (laughs) Oh, but they also do, because, oh, God. Well, I won't spoil it for you, but they kind of, like, reverse. They make Nicole more likable in the end because, yeah, there's a a one-off line where it's kind of like, oh, Nicole's not a terrible person. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so they have been apprehended. They've been arrested. Unfortunately, this means that the school will now close. So in the coda, (laughs) we see that um, the problematic student who broke the window has broken another window. As he is chastised, he reveals that it was Christina who gave him the slingshot that he used to break the window. So he suggests that she is still around or her spirit is around or that she maybe also faked her death and that she is still hanging out. I love this because it's ambiguous enough to where it's like, okay, there either is a ghost or this kid is lying or just fucking with him, whatever. It's fine. It's ambiguous enough to where it's like, cool, I could believe any of these possibilities. It's not something where it just like leaves you hanging. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to bring in one final article by Andrew Asabon, and he wrote an article called Diabolical Queerness in 1950s French Cinema in an edited collection about the queer 1950s. So he says about this ending, even if the film appears to overrule the validity of that world, negating simultaneously its queerness and its fantastical nature in one fell swoop in the nasty revelation, not only that Nicole has been on the demon headmaster Michelle's side all along, but that the entire ghost story has been a hoax. The very last suggestion that the dead Christina now haunts the school despite everything, represents an irresistible return, a permanent presence of fantastical queerness in the form of a melancholic lesbian ghost. I was going to say, so we're reading Christina now is not not a repressed, well, I'm sorry, she is a repressed lesbian is how we're reading her then. I mean, I always read them as lesbians and then Nicole makes a bad decision. Mm. She definitely chooses the terrible, terrible man. I just... Why right. just money. Yeah, especially that's why I'm like, dang, the book ended. <laughs> the book is just like, no, fuck him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's let's run away together, sis. Let's go. <laughs> well, and I think I think that's it, right? So in the book, you know, we have the wife is killed, but it's not because she's a terrible person. It's because she has an insurance policy that they want to get. And th- that's kind of also where again my wild things comparisons came through right. earlier because I was like, oh, that's very much like wild things. And then yeah, the two women run off together in the end. Although I guess in wild things, it's just Neff Campbell doing her own thing in the end. <laughs> Spoiler alert for wild things. But yeah, I um. So it's interesting that yeah, the film adds this prick husband. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's I I will echo what y'all said earlier that I do I I would actually like to see a faithful adaptation of the novel. Maybe even in modern times, or make it a period piece. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you would prefer to have the explicit queer text as like the revelation or the twist? Well, I think it's just because so many of these older films we cover, you know, it's a lot of implied queerness. Now again, you you've right. mentioned Joe that you said, oh, like I totally read them as lesbians. Yes, but but again, it's and you're right. Like, even the bed scene from earlier in the film, like, you can totally see it. I just want it more spelled out (laughs) like i wanted to be like we are totally hooking up in the bedroom after dark it's great not that that would make it better by any means but when we when we cover films that are from this time period or pre you know whatever it's always a lot of oh well we're we're just gonna hint at queerness or we have to grasp at these straws and granted it's easier to grasp at straws in this film but it's still grasping at straws it's interesting too because the the original writers of the novel did not like this ending so they didn't like the fact that it had seemingly removed the queer angle as the twist mm-hmm. and one of the authors uh, narsajak says that he felt that cluzo made the story more brutal as an attempt to like knock you out as opposed to the kind of uh delicacy of the text even even think about this, y'all. So again, because, you know, gay people weren't on the up and up in the 50s. And not in France either at the time. And not in France either. Wouldn't Because no one would suspect, oh, yeah, it's the, the, the quote unquote dead wife and the mistress are actually lesbians in cahoots together. That, because no one would suspect that. No one would be watching this movie in 55 saying, I think they're kind of gay. I think they're lesbians working together. <laughs> That's a good twist. Like make queerness the twist. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, but you may also then have to deal with censorship issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not like poo-pooing is like, oh, no, that's a bad idea. It's just more, I think the reality of the time is that, I mean, 
mostly I think it was Clouseau just being a dickhead who was like, I want a movie with my wife in it. And mm-hmm. the back of his mind was probably also like, but I also don't want this movie to get censored. No, that's true. So, um, I mean, I guess originally I was going to say, hey, let's play a game where we like remake this movie. But I guess we kind of kind of done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and we want to see. <laughs> well, we're also forgetting that we get the title, um, not the title card, but the little card at the end that warns people, don't be devils. Don't ruin the interest your friends could take in this film. Don't tell them what you saw. Thank you for them. And I love that. Thank you for them. Like, thank you for giving for for making them give us their money <laughs> to see this movie. Yes, please shut the fuck up and tell your friends. Um, that is what they're saying to us. Like, hey, make sure you don't spoil it, bitch, because that's our money maker. Damn. And I love them. <laughs> and I wish they still tell people these kind of messages to this day. To this day. Like, please close your mouth. Do not just. Sh- I mean, we are recording this the day before the season finale of WandaVision errors. And I'm sitting, I mean, Joe, you even told me, you're like, I wake up at 630 in the morning so I can watch it before I get into Twitter. Because yeah. literally whatever, whatever reveal happens in WandaVision is in the Twitter trending topics by like 9 a.m. <laughs> and even like, uh, I remember when Promising Young Woman came out, it was very much like a plea to all the critics who got to see it about two weeks before regular Mm -hmm. audiences did that it was like you need to do a better job of keeping this quiet because you are spoiling this movie in your reviews like critics were actively being like oh the ending's not something you expect ha ha wink wink nudge nudge also our patron go listen to that episode (laughs) (laughs) you don't just shy off on it oh sorry also go listen to our patreon episode on promising young woman the film that took Mm -hmm. us by surprise with its unexpected twist ending we're giving it away joe But yeah, I mean, so that is Diabolique or Le Diabolique. Uh, what is? What are everyone's thoughts on this film? Final thoughts. Loved it. Yeah, I will watch this shit again. Would I absolutely recommend. have watched it a few, quite a few times. Um, and I made a few people watch it. <laughs> like literally over the weekend, I made my homegirl watch it. And then when the girl had a heart attack at the end, she was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for her. <laughs> My thoughts are that, yeah, this movie consistently took me by surprise. I think its greatest asset is not just that it's absolutely gorgeous to look at. Like, it's as much as I hate the man who made it because I think he sounds a huge prick, the film is unabashedly well constructed, well shot. Mm-hmm. I love Simone's performance. I think that she is a fucking awesome star. And overall, yeah, this movie was surprising and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's one that I I really really liked when I, when the credits rolled. Like it was an immediate like, oh, that's really good. Mm-hmm. But it's also one that has sat with me. Yeah, because I did watch this. Oh God, so three days ago, and it's just sat with me as I'm like, oh my God, like I'm thinking about this part of the movie and this part of the movie. And as I and what I like to do because when I watch a movie three days in advance, I reread my plot notes that I take, mm-hmm. and I'm like replaying the movie in my head, and I'm like, oh my God, like that was really good. Like that was really good. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, big recommend. Absolutely, watch this shit right now. It's on night. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, as of today, um, what's it? March, sometime in March. Um, I don't know what day it is really, but it's on HBO Max right now. <laughs> I honestly would, I would pay for this movie. This is, you know, I don't say that too often, but I'd pay for this movie. I would buy this. Well, if you want to watch the remake, it is streaming on Amazon Prime for two ninety nine. There we go. honestly i will recommend the remake as well as i said earlier it's a pretty faithful adaptation and it does 
veer a little more into camp. Like it doesn't quite manage its tone as well, but I actually found it surprisingly entertaining. I do too. It is very 90s and Sharon Stone is really camping it up. Yes. She was actually nominated for a Razzie for that movie. So oh, go her for that. Oh, yeah. Razzie. They were hating. Get get this. She was nominated for worst new star, but the new part was because it was the new serious Sharon Stone. Goodbye. Oh, God. That is yeah. so condescending. Oh, yeah. It's really, yeah, it is not nice at all. Honestly, she is fantastic in that movie. And mm-hmm. I shout out to whoever did the costumes for her because she is wearing like leopard print stuff. She's wearing these like a tight as fuck looking polyester pants. Like the costuming for her character in particular is chef's kiss. Yeah. Okay. I want to see the outfits, beautiful dresses, beautiful gowns. Yep. Let us know what you think when y'all watch it. Okay. Cause I'm really intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> oh man live tweet this on the timeline yes (laughs) well all right that will be diabolique um before we announce what we're covering next week jazz and cat uh let people know where they can find you on social media and you know this is kind of your chance to talk about your show yes first of all thank you so much for having us like this was so much fun and we truly uh, like really enjoyed this movie um but if y'all want to pull up y'all can check us out at www.girlthatscary.com for socials and stuff like that we are on instagram and twitter at girl that's scary um we also have a patreon um and you can just pull up with the exclusive content we got a discord all that fun stuff patreon.com forward slash girl that's scary so if you basically google girl that's scary you're gonna find us yes i was gonna ask y'all so because are y'all marked as explicit on patreon i believe we are so i don't know if y'all know this but we have people ask us all the time so if you are marked as explicit on patreon um and you go to patreon and like you search for girl that's scary you will not show up in those search results oh let me look hold on now, now. i think we aren't on because google, um, i know but on the pa- hold on, let me pull up our friend oh yeah no, G- Google's fine. J- it's just the Patreon search engine where if you are explicit, you will not pop up in their search results. So it, yeah. that's why you always have to give out your link. So because we have people actually, I, I had someone email me um, or Instagram message me this weekend and was like, I can't find you on Patreon. And I'm like, you're gonna use the link we give you at the end of every episode or just okay. Google Horror Queers Patreon. <laughs> well, thank goodness I just gave you all the link. Forward slash girl that's scary. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The rocket science of Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me so mad. It's like that, that's um that's very rude. Mm-hmm. I want to say fuck. <laughs> say it. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but honestly, folks, if you have not checked out Girl You're Scary, yeah. you absolutely must because you two kill me. You're so funny. But also you are churning out content on the regular. Like you are releasing so many episodes. So it's a great show if you're looking for uh, people who are dropping content all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Cosign, cosign hard on that one. Oh, thanks. Thanks. We're always watching movies. Always watching movies. Well, I actually what I love because it's very conversational, right? Like, I not not to say that it's informal. It's just like y'all are having so much fun talking about these things. Be it something like Blade or something more serious like Diabolique. It's just it's fun to listen to y'all because y'all are having fun in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. We are kicking it up in here. We are having a good time. We are like, Oh yeah, girl. Did you see that? Yes. I did see that. <laughs> <laughs> and the real thing is like, whether we're talking about horror or not, this is really just us. <laughs> Which is important, right? Like, yeah, right. Like, yeah. You, you don't want to have like a persona. Like it's you. Oh, yeah. You want to be you. 
I don't know. I oh. feel like all the podcasts I listen to, the people just sound like themselves. Thank goodness we found those type of people. Yeah, because I'm like, <laughs> I don't really. No shade to everybody else. I yeah. just like to see people be authentically them, um, and not someone else. Unless we're like acting in like a job. No, and, but that's kind of. I mean, it's the same thing on Twitter, right? Because I I've met people in person after the quote unquote knowing them on Twitter, and they're completely different in real life. And I'm like. I don't feel like I know you at all because who you are right now in person is the complete opposite of who you are presenting on Twitter. It's wild. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise face reveal. <laughs> well, speaking of Twitter, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Also, find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we have covered. We have lists for our main feed, for our Patreon feed, and for our Patreon audio commentaries. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Again, do not fucking search for us because we will not turn up yay we're in the middle of march right now actually this episode drops on saint patrick's day so happy saint patrick's day to everyone we are still in the middle of hillbilly horror month so we already had episodes drop on the wrong turn reboot we've had a mini-sode on hillbilly horror so still to come we have a mini-sode on the x-files episode home as well as another episode on the remake of the texas chainsaw massacre and an audio commentary on the remake of the hills have eyes there we go so much hillbilly horror what, is, what will not be Hillbilly Horror is the film we are covering next week, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are kicking it. Not old school 1955, but we are traveling back to the year 2000. And oh boy, Trace, I think we're going to get a little bit stupid because we are checking back in with the skulls. Oh my God. <laughs> I saw this movie <laughs> when it hit Blockbuster in what I'm assuming was 2001. And I didn't like it then. So... Yeah. We'll see if I like it now. <laughs> I'm excited for pretty CW level boys. Paul Walker and Joshua Jackson in a non... Well, we'll, we'll, we'll look for some homoeroticism in there. Oh, there's going to be plenty of homoeroticism. <laughs> uh, but on that note, we can cross out Diabolique. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. You've made it to the end of another bloody, disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody, disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>